Now faith comes from hearing. And hearing comes from the words of Christ. Literally it reads, faith comes from the report. And the report from hearing the words of Christ. A Native American is walking down Michigan Avenue in Chicago one day next to a friend. They get to one of the intersections and he stops and he says, wait a second. You hear that? Hear what? That cricket. His friend says, how on earth can you hear a cricket? This is, this is Chicago. This is one of the busiest cities in North America. This is Michigan Ave. How do you hear a cricket? Native American just shrugs, keeps walking. He goes another block, and then he reaches into his pocket and pulls out a couple quarters, and at an intersection, he flips them into the air. And the second they land on the pavement, about eight or ten people go scrambling for the money. And the Native American says, one hears what one listens for. That's the second rule. The first is that one hears only what has been spoken. He just imagines the rest. So Isaiah would say, as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return without watering the earth, making it bud and flourish so that it yields seed for the sower and bread for the eater, here it is, so is my word that goes out from my mouth. It will not return to me empty, but will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent it. One cannot hear what hasn't been spoken. You can imagine it, but you can't hear it. Let me turn the parable around. If if a man hears a tree falling in the woods, but when he looks around and there are no trees, did it really make a noise? Of course not. If there are no trees, there is no falling. You cannot hear what hasn't been spoken. You can think that you heard it. But you can only hear what someone has spoken. Then once they speak, you hear what you listen for. Let me slow it down. You can hear yes or no, but listening occurs in levels. So either you hear it or you don't. You can say, I didn't hear it well, but you still heard something. Or you didn't. But when you listen, you listen in levels. And if you learn to listen well, then you can hear things in a crowded intersection that nobody else can hear. So the great paradox 
in the Old Testament is that God is always talking. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. The Word was God. The same was with God in the beginning. And God said, let there be light, and there was light. And he said, let there be a vault that separates the waters above from the waters below. And so the Lord God created a vault that separated the water above from the water below. This is a remarkable thing, people, that in the beginning, God is speaking to things that don't exist. He's just talking, and there is nothing and no one to talk to. There is nothing or no one to hear him. Romans chapter 4 says, he calls things that are not as though they were. (laughs) And without there even being anything, God speaks, and because his mouth, his word, has creative powers It can make something where there was nothing before. This is is an incredible amount of power in the word of God. This is like speaking to the dead. He says, Lazarus, come forth. You want to say, dude, he is dead. But when he speaks, it's like he creates life. Where there is no life, he says to the little girl, Talitha Kahum, I say to you, get up. And she was dead. And because his word has creative, regenerative power, it makes life where there was nothing before. God is always speaking. But the other half is, that his people can't hear him. This is remarkable because every other religion has that problem backwards. It depicts people that are, that are straining to hear the voice of their God, but the charge laid against their God again and again is that he never talks. Jeremiah says he's He's like a scarecrow in a melon patch. You pick him up and you move him over here and you don't want him there, so you move him over here to this part of your life and then you don't want him there and you put him... But he won't talk to you. So you're always straining to hear this divine voice of guidance and direction, but you never hear it because the God never talks. But in our religion, we have the opposite problem. We have a God who is talking all the time, but a people who do not listen. This creates something of a crisis and an opportunity. The crisis is that even though his people don't listen, he won't stop talking. He's like a, he's like a teacher you had in school who kept giving instructions even though you were in the back and you weren't listening. They're not going to stop talking just because you don't listen, they're going to keep talking. And what that does is it makes us more culpable for everything he said while we weren't listening. And that's a crisis. 
And so you find in Isaiah chapter 6, for instance, when Isaiah the prophet is called, God says to Isaiah, I want you to go speak to them so that they won't hear you. Talk so they can't see. You say, well, why on earth would you talk when you know that they're not going to listen? Well, it's because God by nature is speaking. And just because people don't listen, it doesn't mean he's going to quit talking. It means that we are responsible for everything that he said. This is why Jesus said in Matthew chapter 13, the reason I tell parables is so they won't understand me. You say, wait a second. I thought the purpose of a teacher was to make their point known. No, that, no, no, no. The purpose of a teacher is to make their point known to people who are listening. But if someone has decided not to listen, I'm going to keep talking, but I'm going to say it in what sounds like gibberish so they're still on the hook. That's a crisis. The opportunity is that you can join in that conversation anytime. <laughs> there is always a stream of wisdom, guidance, promises, power, just waiting to be unleashed if you know what you're listening for. So I'm reading the prophets this week because I discover that in the Bible, the word hear or listen occurs more than 1,500 times. And that the biggest complaint in the entire Bible is that people won't listen. Theirs is what Scott McKnight calls a freely chosen deafness. So I'm reading the scripture and saying, well, how is it possible that there's a group of people who are serving a God who is always talking, but they, they don't hear him? And what I discover is that when they don't hear him, you can't tell it. Everything else is in place. In fact, Isaiah says that the very people who don't hear God's voice, he says, they never tire of coming into the temple with their incense and with their offerings. They never tire of hearing the word of God read to them. It says they follow all of the structure of worship. He says that they, they, they celebrate the new moons and the Sabbaths. Translated, they follow the Christian calendar. And he says, they follow the holy feasts. Translated, they take communion. Now, this is a remarkable thing. Here is a group of people that follow a God who is talking all the time, but they don't hear him. And just because they don't hear him, you can't tell it because all of the structure is still in place. They're still having services. The scripture is still being read. They're still following all the protocol. Some people are getting caught up in the emotion. And yet, there is a deafness. They don't hear them. 
And since one hears what one listens for, the question becomes, how good of a listener are you? If I were to say to you, do you hear God? You would say, sure. I do. Every now and then. He talks. Last night, I heard fireworks at 11.15 next to our house. Woke me up. I wasn't listening for it. But I heard it. You can't not hear it when the house next to you blows up. You wake up. So sometimes we hear God just like that. We're not listening for him, but something big happens and we go, that must have been God. You know, C.S. Lewis said, he whispers in our laughter, he shouts in our pain. And so we will say whenever there is suffering and pain, oh man, I heard God for sure. Not sure what he said, but I heard him. It's like a firecracker going off right next door. But to listen for God, when there are no big events, no sudden interruptions in life, to hear God in the steady, daily discourse of life, to talk to God like one talks to a spouse, and to hear from God like one hears from a friend, that is another level. So my question to you this morning is, how good of a listener are you? I noticed in the prophets that there's like a cycle of deafness. Nobody is deaf because they want to be. What happens is they get caught up in a cycle. So it's like they start out with a posture that is only half facing the word of God. What I mean by this is they no longer put themselves under the word. They put themselves alongside of the word. Sometimes we use scholarship and sometimes we use exegesis in my discipline. But it is this tendency to think that with our science and with our intellect, we can somehow get right next to the word. We're no longer under it. And the posture is to detach ourselves from it. The word is always separate from us. It's always somebody else's voice. It's not mine. I can study it, but it never studies me. I find myself as a preacher going into the word, always looking for a text. It's a casualty of being a preacher. You got to understand, preachers don't preach whenever they're ready. You know that by now. Preachers preach because they have to. Sunday comes every seven days. It's, it's not, you got something to say, good, we'll have church. That ain't the way this works. This works like this. We're having church. You figure out something to say. 
And so you find yourself always going to the text thinking, watch it, subtle, that the purpose of the text is to give me something to say. Now, y'all aren't preachers, but you may have a similar temptation to think that the purpose of the word is to enliven your spiritual life. And so you will come into your devotions and you will think, what is in this word today that is for me? It's not quite that overt, but it's a subtle turning. Do you hear it? Pretty soon, the text becomes something that is there to communicate to you. And if something doesn't strike you that day, you just go, well, I didn't get anything out of it. And we assume that that is a problem with the word. <laughs> when the word, in fact, is God talking, does he ever say anything irrelevant? Watch my head. So it begins with a, I have a friend, Dave Smith, in this church. He says, I begin with the assumption that the text is relevant. <laughs> Let me tell you why that's so powerful. Because most of us delay that judgment until it says something we find interesting. When it snaps out of the pages and says, here's a cool thought, then we go, wow, that text is relevant. <laughs> he says, I start there, and if nothing grabs me, I'm irrelevant. From this posturing comes a disobedience. Now that the word is outside of us, we can, we can negotiate with it, argue with it, we can turn it. I found in my own life that the opposite of obedience is not always disobedience. It's inertia. Sometimes the opposite of obedience is just a long, unhealthy pause where we try to negotiate or barter with the word. We know what it is asking or calling us to do, but I think what he really meant to say was, do you, you know, do you play these games? And the more intellectual you are, the better your arsenal, the bigger your defense. From this, this subtle disobedience uh, comes, uh, I start to reconfigure my religion inside of the box of what I understand or what I am already doing. And so everything then becomes an echo chamber. I will open the scripture and I will hear and I will read everything that I thought I would hear and thought I would read. It doesn't surprise me anymore. And what I'm saying is deafness doesn't happen overnight. You don't wake up one morning and you lose it. It happens later on in life when you've been a Christian for a long time and you've sort of fallen into this cycle 
and you start to have a hardening of hearing. I don't hear with the same sensitivity. I'm not as quick to obey as I used to be. I'm not as surprised. I'm not awestruck like I used to be. It's the same old thing when I get in the Word. It's a harden of my hearing. I'm going deaf. And sometimes I find that this can become so acute that I can't hear anything. It's like, it's like white noise. It's like God is talking so much and there are so many services and so many testimonies and so many songs and there's only so many things a guy can feel and worship before he just has to shut it out and the hearing goes deaf. And then I will say things like, God never speaks to me. But he, but he does, you see, he does because one hears what they listen for, but I have learned not to listen for it, and so I don't hear it anymore. And it takes a miracle. God has to do something that only God can do in a moment like that. If a man is deaf, he just, you, can't, you can't say to a guy, listen, because he can't listen. This, this is no longer his fault. It used to be his fault, but it's not his fault anymore. He can't even hear your instructions. Some of you this morning are very close to this. You can't hear a word I'm saying right now. You're waiting for the next story, for the next one-liner, for the next tweetable line. Because you crave distractions. You seek them. You don't just have them. The moment the room goes silent, you fumble for your phone and your thumb starts moving and you can't have a moment where there is not some kind of voice speaking into your ears and you don't know what you're listening for anymore. It's just all the same. All of this is backstory to the miracle of the deaf man hearing. By the time you get into Mark chapter 7, where Jesus is looking a deaf mute in the eyes, you already know from the Old Testament that deafness is a problem that the people of God have. This isn't a problem for the world. Of course, they don't hear. Read your prophets. Those are all sermons to the people of God, <laughs> not somebody else. And by the time you get into Mark chapter 7, you know that sometimes a man can get caught in the cycle of deafness. He ain't looking for this, but because there's not enough vigilance, he starts to drift. Things get less interesting. There are more distractions. He starts to rate whether something is worth listening to or not. And before you know it, 
He slips into an echo chamber. He didn't want this. It just sort of happened to him. And by the time you get into Mark chapter 7, you know that there are times when it takes a supernatural act of God to break into the deafness. So there's a man who must have a company of friends. And he's got his friends next to him, but most of his life he's been shut out. He can't hear anything that they're saying. And because he can't hear, he can't talk, or at least he can't talk plainly is what the text says. And so his friends bring him to Jesus, and they beg, that's the word, they beg Jesus to place his hand on the man. So Jesus takes the man aside. The Bible says, away from the crowd. And when he gets him aside, he puts his fingers in his ears. And then he spits on his own fingers. And he opens his mouth and he touches his tongue. And when he says it, he looks up to heaven and he sighs deeply. And then he just says, Arabic, afafa, be opened. And instantly, the man's ears are open so he can hear for the first time in years. And the first voice he hears is his. <laughs> and Jesus takes the guy back to the company of friends that brought him to Jesus. And then he tells the entire company, don't you guys say a word about this. Y'all keep this to yourself. But they didn't do it. <laughs> they were talking. When I read this for the first time, um, I started to think differently about the people that I am trying to win to Christ. Some of the first notes I made to myself is, their problem is not just sin. Their problem is deafness. And the problem with deafness is never in the speaker. It's in the listener. Say, no, we know that. No, you don't. Because you keep blaming the speaker for not being interesting. We have this American bias that says if somehow the speaker was a little more relevant, then they would hear him. Listen to me. If a guy is deaf, it doesn't matter how well you say it. He can't hear you. Not because he won't. Because he can't. You have to penetrate the deafness with a miracle. You don't need a better service. You don't need a better testimony. You need an act of God. The equivalent of speaking to the dead. Come forth. <laughs> Only God can do that. Oh, this was a, a relief for me, and it was also a, um, a bit of a... It was a relief because... I was thinking, oh, the problem, it's not all mine. 
I thought I was just boring. Some of you are like, well, you are. Well, yeah, but I thought that was why. That's not why. They're not, the, the, the problem is in them. The problem is not in me. But it was convicting because I still work harder at preaching than I do at praying. And if I truly believe that people are changed as Jesus lays their hand on them, then you'd think I would spend more time begging him to go lay their hand on him. Now do that. I tend to think if I can find a slicker way of packaging this, then they'll get it. Steve, they're hard of hearing. Shouting won't help. The second time I went through this passage, um, I went through it wondering if I was the guy. All my life, I've had people bring me to Jesus and beg that he would place their hand on me. I didn't catch that till this week. I've had parents and grandparents, professors, mentors, friends, preachers, all my life brought me to Jesus and begged for him to do something miraculous in my hearing. And all the time they were doing it, I was over in my little deaf world thinking, those guys are boring. They're not interesting. What they say is irrelevant. It never occurred to me that if you're deaf, everything's boring. There's not a better way to say some things, and we still don't hear it. We all have heard enough to last us a lifetime. Is there anyone in the room who is not up to the gills in information? It ain't a problem with talking. Some of you right now, this message is irrelevant to you. Maybe you'll only hear one line. All right, then let's make it this one. I'm not that good, but this is not my problem. I'm not that good, but this is not my problem. Come on now, church. You say, now wait, you can't tell me that some speakers are not more interesting than others. Of course they are. But I'll also tell you that when the student is ready, the teacher appears. I never had a professor who didn't have a lot to teach me. But in my 20s, I thought I did. What happens is, you get to a place where God begins to open your ears. And you hear all kinds of sounds and truths that you never heard before. That's a miracle. 
So here's what I need from us. Here's the first thing. I started to pray this week and just say, God, open my ears. Um, Let me hear stuff that I never heard before. I, I can cite scripture. I can repeat it. I can give you chapter and verse for so many things. I've done it my whole life, but I still don't think I hear it quite like you said it. You know this? You talk to somebody and they're going, I hear you, but they don't hear you because they don't hear the passion, the personality. They don't have the entire mind that you had when you said it. And so I think, I want that. I want that. I want to know what was in your mind when you said it. Open my ears. Let me be more sensitive to your word. Oh, it's like white noise so much of the time. Then what I need, people, after I have a miracle like this is some structure. I have to find a way to sustain this thing that God is doing in my heart and in my ears. So I looked back at the story again. I found a couple things. One of them is that the man went away and was with Jesus alone (laughs) so that the voice he heard was Jesus' voice first. And then after he did that, Jesus brought him back to the company that he came from in the first place. So here's how this works for me. In the mornings... Because I think we should give God the best part of the day, not what's left over, but the hours when our minds are on fire to hear anything, I will pull myself aside and spend the first few moments posturing. I will say, God, I am so glad I serve a God who talks. (laughs) I don't have to make this up. And you talk all the time. And you will say some things in the next few moments that you may not say for the rest of my life. Help my heart to be in a place to listen. God, make the soil fertile. I'll spend time in this state of mind saying, I put myself under the authority of the word of God. And then after I've gotten to that if you will, place, then I will open the scripture and I will begin to read. I will have a notepad at my side and as I read the scripture, I will start writing ferociously in really, 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 really tiny font because I'm a Dutchman and if you write small, you use less paper. Somebody called it homicidal font. They said the only people who write that small are mass murders. So I have these pages just filled with chicken scratch of things. You don't ever hear this stuff. It's not your business. I'm just talking to you about the process. After I'm in the right place and the word is before me, I start to stream into some kind of conscious dialogue. Not everything I'm writing is a word from God, but I believe somewhere in that consciousness, God is speaking. And I found that over a period of time, that word from God appears again and again and again and again. It bubbles, it surfaces, it doesn't come one day and it's gone. Once I have what seems to me 
a strong word from God, I then go back to the company that brought me, the church. Because I don't believe in reading your Bible only alone. Don't believe in it. Richard Hayes has pointed out that every pronoun in the New Testament's plural was never written just for an individual. It's written for a people. So I take what he has given me and bring it back into a small community of faith. And we talk about it. And whatever they say affirms what they know, that then becomes my marching orders. People, how well do you listen? How well do you protect your days and your hours away from distractions? How much discipline or structure is in your life to keep all of these, even good things, noble things, out of your life to give God a space and a time to speak? How obedient are you when he does it? When he speaks to you, jump into action because if you do, you become even better at listening the next time.